From the 13th of July, the National Museum of Scotland is going to be showcasing the greatest collection of Russian treasures ever seen in the United Kingdom with Catherine the Great, an enlightened empress. I'm Lee Randall, and I'm here with the exhibition officer, Maureen Barry, to talk about the great lady, her work, her life and times, and some of those scandalous rumors we've heard about her. Why don't we get right down to the nitty-gritty straight away? Everybody thinks they know salacious, scandalous details of Catherine's life. And I think what gets lost is the real knowledge that she was quite an interesting ruler. She was an enlightened monarch. She had a lot more going on than just her lovers. So I'm wondering if you can, we can go back to the beginning and set the scene a little bit. Some people might not realize she wasn't even Russian. I think that's the fascinating thing about Catherine. She began life as Sophie, as a German princess. And that's the interesting thing. People think they know the story of Catherine and the rumors, and as you say, the salaciousness that surrounds her. What I've found with this exhibition is there's so much to this woman, and I think it's, it, the public will be really interested to find out how strong she was from a 14-year-old girl to this enlightened empress who didn't exactly have the best time when she arrived in Russia to become more Russian than the Russians. She was hand-picked to marry Peter, the heir to the throne, by Empress Elizabeth, wasn't she? She was. Um, Empress Elizabeth had no heir, and she appointed her nephew, Peter, as, as heir to the throne of Russia. And obviously, Peter required a bride. And Elizabeth had fond memories of Catherine's family. She was once engaged to one of the members of the family and remembered them very fondly. So it was a, a, possibly a natural choice to look to the family for a bride for Peter. And Catherine was asked to come to Russia and, and the couple were married shortly after that and, and embarked on a, a 19 years of marriage, which Catherine describes as very, very lonely. Yes, now her first 18 years in Russia she was pretty miserable. By the time she was 16, she was married to a man who had already said he didn't love her. Her mother had been banished from the country, and she was very much on her own, expected to produce an heir, which was a little difficult given the circumstances of their marriage. But what she did was quite remarkable, wasn't it? She made a threefold promise that she would ingratiate herself with the empress, with her husband, and with Russia itself. And she became self-educated, didn't she? She spent 20 years basically reading and learning. She is a fascinating subject in that respect. And, and if you think this is a 14-year-old girl marrying into Russian royalty, and from there she, she discovers she's trapped in a loveless marriage, there are so many people surrounding her court. Who can she trust? Who can't she trust? What's going to happen to her? Um, she was well aware that her husband had lovers. She had lovers. Elizabeth was desperate for an, an heir at any cost and actually set Catherine up with the first of the lovers that she would take throughout her, her reign. And I think that's the interesting thing. Catherine wanted to make her marriage a success. She wanted to please Empress Elizabeth, but Elizabeth was volatile, mercurial. Peter was at best feeble. And Catherine really had to look to herself, her inner strength. She, she was like any young girl. She would start off by reading novels and, you know, love stories and so on, but very quickly tired and realised that they bored her and education was the key. She understood that she had to educate herself for the role that was ahead. It was a dog-eat-dog -dog situation, and she knew that, so she really had to 
acquire skills like learning Russian, which her husband wasn't too keen on. And, and the one thing she did achieve was serving Russia. And she did that for over 34 years. So that was one achievement out of all of them that I think was the best for her and Russia. So Catherine came to power by basically seizing it from her husband after the Empress Elizabeth had died. How did that come about? What, what happened? Elizabeth died in 1761 and it would either be Catherine who would come to power or Peter. There was no way they would rule together. Both had lovers. Catherine was pregnant with Orlo's child. Peter also had a lover who intended putting on the throne. Catherine would have either ended up in a nunnery or she would have been assassinated or imprisoned for a very, very long time. So Catherine decided this wasn't going to happen. And she had the the regiments and the army on her side because Peter was besotted by Germany and German regiments and insisted on his troops wearing German uniforms and so on. And that didn't go down well with the Russian people. He also decided to end the Seven Year War. And that wasn't popular because, you know, they were winning at that point. He didn't have any interest in the Russian language. He had no interest in the religion. He behaved abysmally at Elizabeth's funeral by playing catch-up with the pages who were holding his train. He, he would walk very slowly, so they, they had to hold back, and then he would run, and they would have to run with them, and the cloak would flap off into the breeze, whereas Catherine showed respect. She, she, she mourned Elizabeth. People were beginning to see this woman was somebody worth taking note of. And, and after she gave birth in the spring to Orloff's child, a son, she was able to act. And they were plotting to overthrow Peter, but the plot was uncovered. One of them was captured on the 27th of June. Therefore, one of Orloff's brothers, Alexei, had to ride out to Peterhof, where Catherine was staying, bring her back to the city, and everything just had to take place on that day. Nothing had been planned for that day, the 28th of June, but it all happened. You know, they they swore an oath of allegiance in Palace Square. She was blessed at Kazan Cathedral. It was a bloodless coup. Peter was arrested, interred at his estate in Rospa. And a few days later, he died, seemingly, from hemorrhoidal colic, which sent this ripple around Europe that if you were going to Russia and you happened to be a king, it might be a bit dangerous if you did have hemorrhoidal colic. So it was obvious that Peter had been assassinated. This wasn't good for Catherine. This was not what she wanted to happen because she now had blood on her hands. She was in a shaky position anyway. So she was trying very hard to establish herself as monarch and ruler. Peter messed about didn't bother to have his coronation take place, she wasted no time. She went to Moscow and was crowned. And that was where she started to get the grip and hold on the nation. And that's where it, you know, she started to realise what power she did have. Peter just didn't address the people. He didn't engage with the people. Catherine did know how to do that and do it well. She was a real PR person. Well, it could be said that her most important love affair was with the nation, but let's go back and look at some of the men in her life. The very first one, as you say, is probably the father of her firstborn child, the heir to the throne. Would that be correct? Catherine, in her memoirs, cites Sergei Soltykov as the father of her son, Paul. But Paul bears a startling resemblance to Catherine's husband, Peter. And he also had Peter's nature. So... It's difficult to say if Paul was Peter's son. Paul definitely believed 
Peter was his father. And he proved that himself when he came to power. Because on Catherine's death, he dug up his father and had his mother and father interred in the same burial plot, exacting his revenge on Catherine for not having the proper funeral for his father. So he believed, Paul believed, that Peter was his father. And I think Catherine was set up with lovers initially. I think that she was paired. She was watched very closely. It wasn't something that she could have done without the backing or the knowledge of Elizabeth. This is something that Elizabeth must have known and must have permitted because she was watched very carefully by a married couple. And I think this was something that the minute she gave birth to an heir, that was all Elizabeth was concerned with. Catherine could go her own sweet way after that. Of her subsequent lovers, I would argue and perhaps I'm wrong, that Orlov and Potemkin were the two most important subsequently. Yes, she. I think she chose initially lovers very wisely when she was allowed to choose them. And I think the Orlovs were fundamental in taking Catherine where she went with the coup. She couldn't have done it without the support. These five charismatic brothers took Catherine and put her on the throne. It wasn't a flash in the pan, this romance. It went on for several years and she was devastated because it was Orloff that finished the relationship. And and soon after, Prince Potemkin, he he was always in the background. He always was trying to curry favour with Catherine. And one of the wonderful stories is on the day of the coup, whether it's true or not, it's fab and I just love it, is that Potemkin saw Catherine mounted on her horse brilliant, dressed in the, the, the guard's uniform, and she reached down on her hip and she had no sword knot. And from the crowd on Palace Square, Potemkin rode out and presented his sword knot to Catherine. Again, making sure that Catherine knew exactly who he was. And he was a really eccentric, but he was a clever statesman, you know, he foreign policy. Potemkin really, he was ridiculed by those who were afraid of him and of his power and so on. But Potemkin would be the one constant in Catherine's life. The affair only lasted two years, but Potemkin was always there. And when he died, she was bereft. She was absolutely lost and and abandoned quite a few things that she had planned to drive Russia forward and and expand the borders. And without Potemkin at her side, who was almost a czar to her Tsarina, she she just couldn't go on with those plans. And what was it she primarily got from Potemkin? Is it because he was a brilliant strategist? She was quite expansionist. She pushed the borders of Russia out quite a bit. And was that what he brought to the party? I think that he succeeded in doing that for Catherine and he, he, you know, he set up the lands in the south and almost ruled over them. But I also think they were soulmates. I think they, they were a match for each other. They were both clever, they were both witty, they were great letter writers. They loved each other's company. And I think once the passion died, and it is rumoured that they actually did marry, there was a, a mutual respect. There had to be. And, and that continued till Potemkin's death. And, and she had other lovers. I mean, Lanskoy was another one in question. He was much younger. I think in, in the early years, the lovers were chosen really carefully and cleverly, like Orloff and the brothers who could sweep her to power, and then Potemkin who could tell, help her to expand Russia's borders. But Later, she didn't need strong men to take as lovers. She could take men who interested her as lovers. And Lanskoy never interfered in politics, and he had a love of antiquity um, and a love of cameo collecting and finding new stones which were being discovered in the Urals and so on. And he was very gentle. And, and when he died, 
she was beside herself with grief. I mean, she didn't take another lover for almost a year. So these rumours about Catherine and the stories, they're, they're political stories of the time which have grown and grown, showing Catherine in a really bad light by men in power, And it's one way of hitting back at a woman about her sexuality, about the way she behaves, about the way she conducts herself. And it was very easy to do that with Catherine because of the lovers that she did take, but no more than any king would have done. Well, the rumours about Catherine began during her lifetime overseas, did they not? They did. I mean, Catherine... Again, expanding Russia's borders, Britain didn't agree with that. She also bought up art collections from major countries around the globe, France, Frederick of Prussia's collection, she acquired that, and Walpole's collection from this country. And in France and Great Britain, there was a huge outcry about her taking these collections out of the countries and and to Russia. And and she did this because she had a, a huge love of collecting, But she knew where she would put Russia right on the map in Europe as a power, a significant power, using all this art, treasures, commissioning work as another way to say to to Europe, we're here, we're not going anywhere, get used to it, we're as powerful as anyone else in Europe, as strong and powerful politically and culturally, and we're we're a modern nation because of the things that Catherine was introducing. Now, she was very idealistic and became progressively more realistic as she ruled and saw what she couldn't couldn't do. But what would you say are some of the highlights, her achievements? I mean, I think the fact that she insisted upon vaccination for smallpox is quite a fascinating fact and really, really interesting to the health profile of Russia. It was very ahead of its time. What do you think about some of her other ideas? She wrote that big code of law, which she said she cribbed a lot from Montesquieu. She never pretended it was her own. What would you put in her in her plus, in her gold star column? I think she was a genuine person who wanted to serve and wanted to improve Russia. And she did. She, she wrote these laws and she introduced them. They never became law. They were banned in France for being too radical, which I think is hysterical. And, and obviously her love of the philosophers and freedom and so on, it kind of dampened when the French Revolution came along. But she was prepared to look at the serf system and try and change it. She couldn't. It was, it was too big a project to try and dismantle something that had gone on for centuries. But I think trade, commerce, putting Russia on the map, the art collections, I think also people that she engaged. The interesting thing about her was she didn't just go out to Europe and commission Europe, European craftsmen. She sent Russians out to learn the new technologies and the new skills. And she brought people into Russia to do the same thing. And the interesting thing about the Imperial Porcelain Factory, she took that to Zenith. I mean, she really was, they were producing porcelain. Um, the scientist Lomonsov had, had started um, producing beautiful porcelain works that rivaled Serve. He'd found out, you know, the compound and the formulas for this. And, and, and it was on a par with Serve in, in France, which is fantastically interesting at that time. So on balance, we have, here we have a very powerful woman who, like so many powerful women, think of Elizabeth I, for example. The only way people could get at her was to pick away at her reputation in a way they wouldn't dare attack a man. Overall, my impression from reading the biographies is that she was warm, witty, intelligent, very shrewd, very tactical, and as you say, willing to serve. So 
shall we lay the rumors to rest? Do you think this exhibition will help people get a much better understanding of Catherine? I really hope so, because, you know, I despair every time the rumours come to light. Somebody says, oh, yes, we know her because of, or we know her about that. And I think, you know, this woman was phenomenally interesting. And, and around the exhibition, you'll read quotes, things that she said, and they're hysterically funny even nowadays. Catherine had her moments. She could be like all of us. She was, she was no saint, but she did a fantastic job. 34 years in power, taking Russia forward, doing more than Peter the Great had actually done for Russia, and quite happy to say to everyone, I've done more than Peter the Great by putting up these monuments and so on. Um, and she's going to have detractors, and that's going to happen. But it didn't stop her, and it didn't stop her enjoying life, um, and it didn't stop her improving or trying to change things. But like everyone, she could be difficult and awkward and wanted things her own way. And some people really didn't like her or didn't like her policies and so on. Um, I think Voltaire summed it up quite nicely as an enlightened despot. And I think, I think that's quite a, an interesting phrase to use about Catherine. And there have been so many things drawn about, about her and so many things written about her that are absolutely fascinating by her contemporaries. And that's what we want to look at in this exhibition. Not how many lovers she had or how she died, but how the woman lived. Tremendous. So, uh, as Mae West said, Catherine was great. <laughs> <laughs>